Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. As tonight starts out with a little bit of sombering news, as well, you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, but it's about 10.50 here on the East Coast, and John Madden passed away tonight, and just wanted to kind of talk about the relevance of of John Madden passing away, and just the relevance of you know that guy to, to football. I, I had tweeted earlier that I don't know that there was ever anybody who has had the impact uh, on their sport the way Madden has John Madden has football and you know how his coaching career went into win a Super Bowl and how his broadcasting endeavors him and Pat Summerall you know how he changed everything you know how the, how they changed how the game is covered to the telestrator to the side discussions about players and random parts of the game like Troy Aikman's beard or it just there's so many pieces of that over the years that are on YouTube that you can find and I was young when Madden and Summerall were doing a lot of games you know I didn't get into the point of memory with those and you know the early 2000s are where things really start sticking in your brain from NFL games for me because that's when the Browns came back and that's when I started caring and that was sort of the end of the Madden Summerall era and I you know I I played the video games and I know the voice and I know you know I I was familiar with calls but it's really neat you should do that if you're younger than me I'm going to be 33 in late February here if you were before 89 my year if you're born after I should say go go find some games on YouTube and just listen to how their broadcasting style between John and Pat, just it influenced everything we hear today, and obviously the video games too, and and uh, you know me growing up with Little Giants and how he showed up in Little Giants with all the NFL stars. He was bigger than life. I mean, he had a video game. It's not I'm gonna go play NCAA football video game, or I'm gonna go play MLB the Show, or I'm gonna go play NBA. To, it's Madden. It's it's Madden. His name is the game of football, and it's like. You know, as a kid growing up, I just remember this this vivid memory. I started playing Madden before at like 98, but I just remember getting a PlayStation when PlayStation 2s were coming out and this new 2001 game of Madden was going to be on on the uh on the new system and I finally got it and I was so excited and I had to go away to 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 this family get together and I was so upset. I had to play this game. So my parents took the game. They set a TV up at the kitchen table at my my uh, aunt and uncle's house, and and I played PlayStation Two Madden two thousand one on the table, uh, and I was just that was the first time I was blown away by graphics. I'd obviously played N sixty four and Quarterback Club and some Madden and all that stuff, but like the PlayStation Two Madden, it just will never leave my brain. Back when Madden used to have those cool specific intro songs every year, um, but just the graphics of that game, uh, it changed it changed how I loved football video games and. Obviously, NCAA football, which I'm so excited is coming back in a few years. I played that all, all those years after. And, you know, just the Madden games and how they helped teach me about the nuance of football and schemes and designs and how the salary cap works and all those little details about free agent. It's just you learn it all from that stuff. And, and you know, John Madden is just bigger than football somehow. 
one man is bigger than all of it. He was, it's a name you'll never forget. And, uh, he lived 85 great years and did so many things and, and touched so many lives and changed so many lives for the better. And just a huge positive vibes to the Madden family. And just wanted to kind of give some of my personal experiences from that because he was, he was so great. And so, so much a, an impact. He has been so silent for so many years recently, and I was just kind of kind of waiting. I, I really want to watch the special that came out on him uh, just last week. I think they're going to air it a couple other places. You should do it too, because if you're young, the impact of John Madden cannot be cannot be overstated. He is just he's huge legend, no matter what era you uh, you cover, because you either come into knowing him as a broadcaster, you came into knowing him as a coach in the 70s, or you came into knowing him as a, a guy that the video game was named after. You should learn about him. encourage you to do so. So rest in peace to, to John Madden. Uh, Brown's news on this front, not much came out from player interviews and stuff today, but they did end up releasing JoJo Natson and cornerback Brian Mills from the practice squad, so that's of note. And then they also brought back Lawrence Cager and tight end Miller Forrestal. So just wanted to cover those were changes that we have seen. Otherwise, we're going to welcome in Brent Sobleski, former OBR colleague, is now with the Bleacher Report, where he does a great job with scouting players for the current NFL draft. And uh, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on players we want to talk about who aren't getting covered enough because there are those players for the Browns who are just deserving to be talked about, but aren't being talked about enough on both sides of the ball. Let's get over to our interview now with Sobo. Excited to welcome in the OG. Well, really, I mean, the OBR is, is Sobo well before I got there. And and I've learned many things from Sobo from covering the Browns around the same time. And it's always great, great, great to catch up. Sobo, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me as always. You know, you're one of the best. I appreciate your work. I love being around the OBR. I wish I could do it more. Just don't have the time anymore when you have three kids you know, a wife, a life, a job. <laughs> and well, even while we're speaking, I'm making sure to lubricate properly with what I think, Jake, may be an appropriate beer for this week. What it is got? called The Fall by Necromancer Brewing, which is out of Pittsburgh. So maybe a little foreshadowing there on my end. Love that. Love that, man. That's this kind. You kind of need a beer to talk about the Browns right now. It helps, takes the edge off a little bit, because uh, not that not that Sobo needs an excuse for a little kickback, a little <laughs> beverage in the evening. But when you're when you're talking about the Browns right now, it's okay to uh, take the edge off. So what I want to do is, we've talked enough about Mayfield and uh, gone back and forth through social channels and podcasts. I want to try to shine a light on some other guys. I had Kyle Murphy on for the chalk talk tonight so bone he talked about how well the offensive line played because in a game where your quarterback turns it over four times that's going to come kind of dominate the headlines but nick harris played out of this world some other guys played really really well so i kind of want to open it up for a season long uh toss to you for guys you think on the offensive and we'll get to the defensive side second guys on the offensive side who have caught your eye really excited about how they played this year and kind of excited about what the future is for them potentially in cleveland so go ahead whoever you got well, no, I think you hit the nail on the head right off the bat. Now, I know it's only been one game for Nick Harris, but I will also shower praise because considering the circumstances. But I, I, let's rewind for a second because I know you and I, Jake, have discussed Nick dating back to when he was the draft pick by the Cleveland Browns. Mm -hmm. And what was the first thing we said when that happened? Perfect, Perfect fit. fit. Perfect, Perfect fit. Ideal. He was the type of guy that fits into the outside zone scheme. And – a lot of people may not know this. I'm not sure. I mention it every once in a while on social media, but 
this was a big game for him for multiple reasons. One, your first NFL start at center. Two, you're playing Kenny Clark, one of the best nose tackles mm-hmm. in the NFL, period. And three, J.C. Treader is a legitimate problem long-term. And not problem as in he's an issue in his play, but he has degenerative knee problems that allow him to basically be on the Joe Thomas practice schedule at this point in his career. So if you can potentially cut him next offseason and save $9.25 million because you're comfortable with Nick, Nick Harris just sliding in and being your starter, starter at center, that is a a boon for Andrew Barry and the Browns moving forward. Now, it's one game, but I agree. He deserves the dap based on what he did, particularly getting out in space and getting to the second level. So he immediately pops to mind and just because of recency bias, I guess, to a certain degree. Other guys I would name, at least on the, offside, the offensive side of the ball, David Njoku, I think, is a legitimate weapon as a tight end in the NFL. Now, he's playing a secondary role, essentially, to Austin Hooper. He's not being utilized to his fullest. Yes, there are times where he becomes the primary threat, but not often enough. And I want to throw a stat at you at the moment because I looked it up before we came here and started recording. Do you know David Njoku's 26th overall among tight ends in targets? Jake, can you name who he's tied with? So he's 26th among all NFL tight ends and targets. He is tied with... I got no idea. He'll hit me with it. Okay, this is a Brendan Fraser blast from a past here. Ricky Seals-Jones. Mm, that's <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't have believed that. No, no matter... You know, I thought Ricky was fine when he was in Cleveland, but like in general, I I just I think we've all been clamoring for David to have a role, a bigger role, a bigger role. I'll ask you this question, kind of piggybacking off of that, Sobo, is is there something we're missing with David? I think we all think there's this gigantic amount of talent now, and it's pretty obvious to see. I think it's pretty obvious to see. You do, too. Most people do. A lot of people talk on him social about how how he should be more involved. But we've traveled three coaching staffs, and really the only one to put him in in feature was Hugh and and uh, Todd Haley for a little bit when Todd was here, and then, and then Freddie did a little bit more with him, too. But we've seen three coaching staffs really come and go, and he's never really become the guy we thought he would. Do you think there could be something more? He doesn't have good practice habits. Maybe there's something mentally about knowing the playbook all the time, or maybe he has brain farts. And you know this about how coaches operate. If you can't trust a guy, you don't want to put him out there all the time. I don't know. I'm trying to process it because Baker loves to throw to tight ends, and it just has never seemed to blossom like we all thought it would. And it's like it's very easy surface level to blame the coaches for this, but is there something more maybe we don't see or we don't know about, or is it just circumstances just as the way it's kind of worked out? Well, we know for a fact there were practice issues last year and early in his career. Now that's a young player. Now let's not forget David and Joe who came into the league as a 20 year old tight end. And that, that legitimately factors into your maturation and how you approach being a professional uh, I'm not saying he's Johnny Manziel or anything like that, but it just it takes time to learn how to be a true professional. And when you have the reliable Austin Hooper, even with his shortcomings at the position, you're going to lean on him more so than you would at David and Joku. And, and this is not just David and Joku. Another great example is Rashard Higgins, right? Every time Rashard Higgins is on the field, he's doing something. And yet we've gone through like three different regimes and he never finds his way into a bigger role. It's, it's it's rather amazing. And a lot of it has to do with the day by day and how they handle themselves. These are young players that maybe never put in the time that was needed or 
had the attitude that the, the coaching staff wanted or just shown enough in practice to translate it into game situations. And I think both of them can legitimately play, but what you have to ask yourself is how are you going to, how or if you're going to build around them long-term because the two I just mentioned, they're free agents after this year. And then you would have to make a decision financially about Austin Hooper. And if you want to retain him based on what we've seen so far, and that's, it's a legitimate question, and I brought Njoku up because I think that potential is there to still be a marquee tight end in the NFL. I, we see the flashes. It's, you can't deny it whatsoever, mm-hmm. but can he be that guy in Cleveland? And I'm not sure he can, but that's applicable across the board with multiple different guys based on the way they're playing at the moment. I think that's true. I think there there's always going to be some stuff we don't know about. No matter how well we know this team, the players, the tendencies of the players, there's always time and meetings and practice and all of that that we are not privy to. And that makes it a challenge because what we're all doing is trying to figure out why the production might not be there for said player. And we all want to point at people because that's what we do. Have to assign blame to somebody, Sobo. But it's sometimes could wait, be wait, Jake, things wait. you don't know. You're about. telling me it can't be a confluence of factors that there's multiple <laughs> no. different things going wrong. No. So everything else goes wrong. It has to be a singular person. It has to be. Yeah. It can't be two things true at one time. That's never uh that's never a legitimate thing. So yeah, I just, I think that question with, uh with David is it's interesting because you're right. And he's had a nice year. He's, he's really had a, uh, a really unsung season, especially in the blocking phase where his numbers are, are pretty strong. Pass blocking has creeped up over 70 and his run grades up over 65. It's a good number. Um, but it's, it's like you just, you're kind of waiting for him to become the Mark Andrews waiting for him to become that type of guy for Cleveland. And it just never quite materialized. Now I personally, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I would love to re um, uh, re-sign him. And, and I thought I felt a sneeze coming on there for a second out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, I would love to re-sign him. I know that the situation isn't ideal because you're, you're really more likely than not stuck with another year of, of, uh, of Austin, because I think you can do something with him post June one, but that's never easy because the timing sucks for the player and a lot of different factors and they like him, but I would love to keep David around and, and, and I would like you to answer that. And then tell me if there's, we're going to work because Sobo does fantastic bleacher report work on the draft. So I do want to get some guys from some positions that have caught your eye in this thing. So like, are you in on signing David again? Um, and, and, and no matter whether you are or not, I do think the, the, the position is so important to them. They are going to keep an eye on the draft. Are there guys that catch your eye there? Well, let, let's start with the, uh resigning uh, in joke would i it, based on what his contractual value is according to his agent <laughs> which yeah, can be very different than what how he's actually valued around the league i yeah. would attempt to resign him that doesn't mean i would break the bank for him to have both he and austin hooper on the roster now to your point about hooper's contract with a June 1st designation. Now, remember, you don't have to cut a guy post June 1st to get these benefits. You simply have to designate them June 1st. They can save $9.5 million in 2022. Now, with that said, they're still going to eat about $11 million over the next three years, but that's spread out. So it depends on which way that they decide to move forward with that with him at the position. I think Njoku has a higher upside. I like Austin Hooper, but he's limited in what he does. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that for two seasons now and his inability to create separation. He's reliable. He's a guy that 
let's put it this way. He's the Leroy Horde of tight ends. If you need five <laughs> yards, he'll get you six. If you need nine yards, he'll get you six. That's, That's the type of tight end he is. And, and, and a we, lesson to be learned about a tight end hiding under an, uh, an elite wide receiver, you know, and benefiting yeah. from those zone coverages and brackets and things like that. So yeah, keep going. 100%. And that's another, speaking of another Stanford tight end, the similar can be say for Dalton Schultz in Dallas and the way their mm-hmm. offense operates. The other one I would say is this, and this gets back to our earlier conversation. If you do not move forward with David and Joku, right? Harrison Bryant is a good young player that deserves more reps. Whether they're in 12 personnel, 13 personnel, you shift them out to the slot. Don't forget he led all tight ends his final season in college when he was the Mackey Award winner in slot receptions and receiving yards. So mm-hmm. he is very capable in that type of role if you allow him to be that player. So he, I think he could take on a much bigger emphasis if you decide to move on from Hooper or Njoku. So I think there's a there's a lot of flexibility there for Cleveland. Would I attempt to re-sign Njoku? Yes, because I still think that upside is tremendous while allowing Bryant to have a bigger role in potentially moving on from, excuse me, Austin Hooper. Now, with that said, if Njoku leaves because he can go and be, you know, TE1 somewhere else, which that opportunity could very well arise, and he's going to be one of the more sought off, sought after free agents on the market, particularly at his position, if you don't expect Rob Gronkowski to essentially move, which I don't think anyone does. This is a really intriguing tight end class. Now, remember, we the Cleveland Browns selected Bryant in the fourth round, and he was, again, the Mackey Award winner. You don't have a clear-cut first-round tight end in this year's class, but we at Bleacher Report have guys with – we have five tight ends – with day two grades, starting with Jalen Wiedermeyer from Texas A&M, Trey McBride from Colorado State, Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama, if he decides to declare, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, Kate Otten from Washington. There's a couple other guys that I like personally. You look at Sam Laporta from Iowa, a great system fit. You know, those Iowa, Iowa's been running the outside zone since – Jake's been in diapers, it feels like. <laughs> then you have Cincinnati's Josh Wiley, who's a 6'6", 245 target that's a really good athlete. So there's going to be a lot of talent there if you decide to move on from one or both of the tight ends that we discussed already on the roster. Yeah, there's there's just a ton of fun ones. Cole Turner and and uh, it's just a, it's Cole a fun Turner's tight- a wide receiver and with well, a tight end listen. designation. Are, are we seeing these guys line up a wide receiver in this offense or not? <laughs> no, I mean me. that literally because he's playing for how mummy's son. That is a straight, <laughs> that is a straight run and shoot offense in Nevada sprinkled in with a little Chris Alt pistol. Hey, we'll teach him to get in the way of somebody and then also go out and catch his <laughs> 70 passes. I do love McBride though. I've been enamored by him and I don't know if he's a guy whose value creeps into round two and that price becomes too steep, but the numbers, the metrics are, they're silly. They're really silly for what he's been able to produce at Colorado State. Have you had a real chance to study him closely? I, I have. I've watched multiple games of him. And what's awesome about him is, and you can't say this because this, this is the irony of making fun of Cole Turner, who I think is an outstanding prospect and the best one coming out of Nevada where there's multiple different guys that will be drafted. I look at McBride, and to me, he's a true wide tight end that can do everything that you ask of him. And that's not something you could say often about tight end prospects in today's day and age. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's going to be one class to pay close attention to as we get closer to it out of the season, we can all study it because I, I think they're going to be in the market for one, even if it's a late round one who they can sort of develop with Carlson on the uh, dealing with all the situations he's dealing with, with that knee. Uh, anybody else offensively? I want to keep the offense running here. Uh, I don't know if you have anyone else before we switch to defense. There's oh, well, one, there's one I want to talk about. There's one I want to ask you about, but I, I want to see if you have anyone else. I, I do have one. And simply because of what he's done lately, because we already know he's great. We already know he's, a Pro Bowl caliber player, all pro caliber player, maybe a Hall of Famer. Joel Batonio moving the left yeah. tackle, which I never thought in my life was ever going to actually happen after vouching for it for so many years. It's been awesome to see him slide out there and basically make the transition that a lot of people didn't think he could. Now, granted, he played left yeah. tackle in college at Nevada, at Nevada, coincidentally, but he's not perfect. And sometimes he doesn't get enough depth on his kick step. And sometimes he gets beat a little bit by speed over the last two games. But just taking over that position under the circumstances, during a playoff run and doing as well as he has, just puts him in another class for me, Jake. It just shows me that he's truly one of the very best in the game. He's the fifth best run blocking grade in the entire NFL and the third best pass blocking grade in the entire NFL. And that's all linemen. Anybody who's played uh, over, you know, 20% of snaps for their team. That's ridiculous, especially having logged two left tackle games uh, in that mix as well, man. So kudos to you. You you nailed the left tackle stuff. I, I think everybody was was a little hesitant on it because you don't want to take a guy that good at one role and maybe make another issue uh, when you already have one position solved. But Joel Batonio an all-timer at this point, right? Like he's, he's trending toward being, uh, this is the perfect podcast to talk about him. Like just trending toward being like a guy who goes down as he's in the ring of honor guy in Cleveland. And I think he could, if he continues to have maybe five more years of health, be a considerable name for one of the better guards in the last decade period and be up for the hall. Am I wrong on that? I agree with you, but let me throw this out at you because I know it's been a topic of conversation for multiple people. What if he makes the transition to left tackle full time? What if? <laughs> okay. Like, think that, about this for a second. Yeah. From your point of view, right? One, 
if he makes that transition left tackle and continues to play like we've seen, and I'll be a very small sample size. But if he does, if he does a Bruce Matthews essentially, that's a short, that's a surefire Hall of Famer, right? Because you yeah. made that, you went to that premium position late in your career and played at a high level. Now, the question I wanted to get to you, Jake, is this: you leave him at left tackle. That means you're moving Jedrick Wills from left tackle to right tackle, which is his natural position. What happens with Jack Conklin? Because one, a patellar tendon tear is no joke, even in today's day and age. And two, if you cut, cut him and designate him post June 1st, that's $12 million in savings in 2022. It's it's something that I am sure they are talking about. Whether that comes to fruition or not, I don't know. I'm sure Joel and his representation are like, of course you bastards would move me to left tackle <laughs> right after you gave me guard money. You know, that's the thing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Joel would say to that. I, behind closed doors, he'd probably have a more serious opinion about the long term. I want to do that or not. Uh, up front to the media, he's going to say, I'm going to do whatever the team needs me to do because that's what he always says because he says all the right things. He's a great leader. Uh, but if he was genuinely interested in doing that and having watched what we've watched through two weeks, he can do it. Now, does that mean that is a great stopgap? I mean, because I, I have full faith that Dunn and Hans can solve left guard and they'd be fine. Like, I think those two guys I'm very high on were getting good reps in meaningful games. Uh, I know Hans has played more tackle, but he's a guard by trade. Uh, I just I just think they could solve that left guard and then you left tackle move move Jed back to his original position. Jed is going through a very circotious situation. He is. I know the ankle's been bothering him, but it is not consistent for Jed. And there are some things, fundamental flaws I need need fixed with him. Making him feel as ho- at home as possible in the NFL would be a good move. And it could have some long-term future. And then you can worry about replacing the left tackle Batonio down the line. Again, all hypothetical, but it wouldn't it would be a wise move. It just comes down to whether Joel's comfortable with it long term and would want to do that with how everything is looking for how he's felt comfortable in the league. Because you don't also, this is another thing I'm sure you would agree with me on, Sobo, is going to left tackle is like going from punter to kicker. It's it, you <laughs> see punters that can't kick and kickers that can't punt. You would think those things are the same. They're not. Playing on an island at tackle is completely different than playing guard, where things are just more compact, you feel more secure, it's more in your face. Tackle, you're like playing bath. You're one-on-one. You're like a defender on a fast break trying to shield off LeBron James from getting home to the bucket. It's a, it's a bitch and roll. It's as hard as it gets in the world as far as it goes. So does Joel put more athletic strain on his body? Body. Maybe it breaks down quicker. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested what you think about what the athletic ramifications could be for him as he hits 30 and beyond here. Well, I think if that were to occur, he would have to change his body slightly. Look, Agreed. I love Joel and, and we can joke about the way he's built and whatnot, but he, he's kind of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> <laughs> he's an interesting build, dude. No, doubt yeah, he's not. It. He's not your traditional. He's not your traditional tackle by any means. But the fact of the matter is he's. Yes, it's been multiple years, but he has experience there. He yeah. has the arm length that's necessary at the position. We know he's an outstanding athlete. Uh, it would just come down to him getting comfortable in that position. And, and the question he would have to ask himself is this. If they were to approach him and say, we would like to make you for you to make a permanent transition left tackle, what he has to say is this. Is it more important to me? to have the financial ramifications and comfortability of playing guard where he is number one 
at least tied for number one in average annual salary at his position. I'm not counting Brandon Scherf because back-to-back franchise tags on a on a guard is ridiculous. Yeah, he would be what was it 12th? I looked up the other day if he had moved if he moved to left tackle among tackles in the league. So, you know, obviously there's a big discrepancy there. But what you ask yourself is this: If I do this, what is my legacy? And don't misunderstand and think that legacy isn't important to to professional athletes. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. He saw what Joe Thomas means to the city of Cleveland, what his career mean, meant to the NFL. And if he can sell himself on saying, if I make this move, I may walk into the Hall of Fame if I play well enough, if I put the time and effort and have four or five more good years in me. So I think that's a legitimate question he would have to ask myself. Will we ever reach that point? Honestly, I don't know because I think the Browns are still high on Jedrick Wills, but the fact of the matter is he's been injured for two straight seasons. He has not played to the same caliber as other tackles within his own class, Mm -hmm. and he may never reach the potential we initially thought when he came into the league as a 21-year-old offensive tackle, and that's disappointing considering, and you know this grinds my gears a little bit there, Jake, mm-hmm. they passed on Tristan Wirfs. <laughs> and yes, yeah. I know he's a right tackle, but he had more experience playing left tackle than Jedrick Wills did. So there is a lot of moving pieces here, and the organization has to make – it could be very, very interesting what Andrew Barry does from an entire holistic point of view after a disappointing season – reassessing this roster and where they decide to move forward at certain positions because there is flexibility and options of plenty at tight end we just talked about and now at along the offensive line as well. Yeah, I think I think you you nailed it there a little with if it's not as far fetched when Betonio could think about, you know, I'm all about the team. I've always been all about the team. I preach that, I talk about it. And maybe they're asking a lot of me here, but there is something for me tied into the fact that maybe if I play guard at a really great level, I, be, I, I never get into the Hall of Fame on the Hall of Really Good. But if I go from guard to tackle and can excel, it is a guaranteed situation for him to get into the hall if he plays at the level that he's played guard there's just not a doubt about it so that could play into it we'll see if they have you know i guess if the browns are brazen enough to take that to him uh, that would be particularly interesting to 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 sort of uh to go back to your point just a second ago about worfs i i think that it's funny i think it maybe me i may i'm not sure if you and i talked about this or some other people did but you know, when that 2019 draft happened, the first round, the Browns take Wills and Wirfs goes to Tampa after. The second round, they take Delpit and Antoine Winfield goes oh. to pick right after. And it was always comparing, like, it'll be really interesting in three, four years to look back and say which team won those selections because the picks were the same early. Tampa won. We'll see if that stays the same over the course of the next few years. But it is, uh, it's tough to look at that because they, they've gotten two high, high-level players while the Browns have gotten, you know, Delpit has shown some promise off the injury, but he was injured and out a whole year. And we've seen Wills be a little uneven. I'm not, we're not here to say Wills is not yeah. NFL quality player. We're just saying it's, it's been an up and down road. He's had some yeah. great games, some great performances and some uneven stuff. Only other guy I want to talk about on offense, Tobo, is Dearness Johnson. There's something mm-hmm. there. There's something legitimately there. He has a 92-1 run grade. He has the second highest Browns grade with anybody over 250 snaps. He is good, and I, he's not—he's not, he's not going to be 
I just try to put this into Madden stats for people because I think that relates well with everybody. He'd be a guy who's like an 87 speed. Pretty okay. But he's got burst. His acceleration to get to his top speed is right now. And that's important. How quickly you can get to your top speed is impressive. He also does a really great job of feeling people pursuing, uh, excuse me, uh, pursuing him and stopping his entire momentum and getting back inside. And that's, it's a really uncanny thing. And I think it does get to posing the question. You're talking about some other angles in which they can save some money. I mean, you know, you can let Kareem go and save some money and keep Dearness as your second back. He's an NFL back here, and he'll be that somewhere else. But keeping him as your third back and just hiding him on your roster is a disservice to how good that young man is. I do think that that could be in play a little bit. What do you think? The pride of Orlando Paulos. Yeah, baby. He's a player, of American football still alive and kicking. So <laughs> I think he has the three qualities you want in a zone runner, right? He's patient. He's decisive and he has burst through the hole. Those are the three things that make you successful. You don't have to have the long speed to be great in the Shanahan out, you know, zone stretch. Look, we, you can go back to Orlando's Gary, you can go back to room at drones, you know, and so on and so forth. The, The history tells you how effective the scheme is. And even with guys that are what you would consider inferior, inferior talents compared to say a Nick Chubb, or Clinton Portis, or Terrell Davis, right? And that's not a slight against Dearness Johnson. I think he could slide into multiple offense, particularly in the zone-heavy NFL that we see today, and be a starting running back. That's how highly mm-hmm. I think of him. But the thing is, here's the interesting part. He's a restricted free agent after this year. So what do you do as Andrew Barry? Again, a, 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 a how he chooses to move forward could be could have a major ripple effect on this organization because if you give the original tender, that means he's an undrafted free agent. Anyone's going to come in and sign him, swoop in to sign him as a, a potential starter or, or RB two within their scheme. If you what what about the possibility of giving him a second round tender? Now you're paying him a couple million dollars. You might need to get him on the field a little more often, even though you already have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. These are the types of little things, the decisions that general managers make that may not seem big to fans on the outside, but could be, have major repercussions to how they move forward as an organization. Because we know Cleveland's a run-based offense. We know they need to have those guys in that scheme. And then, furthermore, if you let Dearness Johnson walk, okay, fifth, sixth, seventh round, what running backs are you looking for that could potentially fill that void as the zone runners that would fit in your scheme? And that's another interesting conversation to have. So I look at him and I agree with you 100%. This is a guy that can play. This is a guy that can not only play, can potentially start for multiple different uh, teams around the league. Furthermore, Cleveland will have to make a decision on him this offseason because of his con- contractual status. And yeah. right now, Unless they put that second round tender on him, I don't see him being part of the roster next year. No, I don't. I, don't, I mean, I don't either. Unless they make a decision that we want to save some money from the running back room and we have faith in this guy to do it. Now, I know a lot of people love Kareem, myself included, as a football player, is is phenomenal. And I'm not just saying it to say it. I'd love to have all three of those guys. But when you're looking at ways to swivel some money around on this roster, as Baker's cap hit goes up a little bit, you're trying to fix the wide receiver room. You know, that's just an interesting one that I 
wanted to throw at you. We'll close real quick. I don't know if you have any late round running backs. If they do make that move, they're going to need a third back. Is there anybody you've seen that comes to mind as a late round guy they could look at? I, as a matter of fact, recently I was watching uh, the FCS playoffs, mm-hmm. which are superior to, to the FBS playoffs, let's be honest. And I don't know if you get into the lower level uh, games, Jake, but I really enjoy once we get into the FCS, uh, FCS playoffs, you see North Dakota State. It's a wonderful program, how, they, how they've built over the years. But let's look at South Dakota State. Pierre Strong Jr., 5'11", 205. 1,700 yards rushing this year. I actually mentioned to a friend of the show, Nate Tice, who's one of the scouts for Bleach Report that I work alongside with. His, his stuff the, with Mays is fantastic. Their yes, athletic they football do. show is so good. Those guys, they break it down, and they make they make others football smart, and that's the highest compliment I can give anybody. So when I, walked, when I was talking to Nate about Pierre, I said, I can see him being selected by the 49ers in the sixth round and then being their starting running back and leading the team in rushing. So if that gives you any indication of the, the way I feel of him as a player and where he fits in an NFL scheme, I don't know what does. There it is. Remember the name. If you if the Browns look to poke around late round on running back, I think it could be something they consider if they decide to move off somebody in that room. Um Maybe they, maybe they don't, maybe they, they just keep their top two and roll with it. We'll see, but uh, fun to talk about. Let's switch to defense. Give you a couple names on defense. Uh, anybody you want to spend time on? I got one I want to talk to you about, but I want you to open it up to anybody else. I want to, I want to go more general overview because I think there are two players that have met and exceeded expectations this year, even though they're obviously primetime names, people all know them, but I think that the way they've played this year has been exceptional starting with Jadavion Clowney. I think that he should be priority number one this offseason when it comes to re-signing and keeping him on board to to have that pairing with Miles Garrett because it's been beneficial to both. Look, Clowney was – he was floating around at the last couple seasons. Didn't really find a home in Seattle. The signing with the Tennessee Titans was a disaster, albeit that was injury-riddled, but he had started very poorly before then. But he has really played like the type of player many expected of him when healthy in the Cleveland Browns lineup. I think that I don't think he gets enough credit for how well he's done this year, his first season with the team, despite not initially won the signing with them a year ago. The other one that I'm bringing up, and just because I adore watching him, and it should be a no surprise to anybody, but Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa plays linebacker like. A linebacker should play in the NFL. It's unbelievable. Plays it like a running back. I can't. I continue to say it. That's like his short area movement to keep himself free. Sobo is unbelievable. He plays it like a running back, man. He sees it and he goes to your yeah. point, right? As soon as that, soon as he makes his read, he fires, man, on all cylinders, and it's just gorgeous to watch for anyone that loves good defensive football, particularly linebacker play. Is he going to make every play? Is he a little undersized? Does he fall off some tackles sometimes? Yes, yes, and yes. But at the same time, comparative to what we've seen in Cleveland Brown linebackers dating back, oh, since essentially the rebirth, he is a different type of animal and is a goddamn pleasure to watch <laughs> on a week-by-week basis. If I'm going to go true. super deep in depth, though, and this is probably a little recency biased, Sheldon Day – is bring something different to the defensive tackle position. As the season progressed, Malik McDowell has worn down. 
He's never, and I've discussed this with you before, Jake, he's never been a great fit at one technique anyways. Malik Jackson isn't a three-down deep tackle anymore at this point in his career, and he hasn't been for some time. But Sheldon Day, yes, he can be moved at the point of attack. But what he does is he shoots gaps. His quickness and his ability to get in the backfield disrupts plays. And even though he's not your tr- guy you necessarily wanting to hold, to hold the point of attack on a down-by-down down basis, he's brought something different to that defense while they've upped their overall level of play, and only essentially because they needed more bodies along the defensive line. And he's taken full advantage of those opportunities. I give him total credit for stepping in and and providing the type of play that, that was necessarily necessary along that defensive interior when I know both of us have mentioned publicly that they were starting to look like they were charming soft along those along that interior, and he's really stepped up when they needed it the most. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I agree. I agree. He's gotten uh, 11 pressures and only 212 snaps on 130 pass rush snaps. For comparison's sake, um, you know, McDowell and Jackson, who have played three times as many snaps, have 25 and 24. So he's outproducing them on a per snap basis in terms of pressure. I do think he has a future here. I, I, I do. I think I think McDowell does. I think Day does. And then they're going to try to work out and see what Elliott can be. He's sort of had a fall off. I thought Jordan Elliott started the year pretty strong, had some good performances, but his last four have been. They've been tough. They've been tough, and I'm a little a little uneasy about the future of him at that position. So I do think they're going to keep remaking D tackle. I got a couple. Um, I think I think Greedy has had a really nice bounce back year off of uh, off of everything that happened to him the, the year before. He's had some ugly games, especially really just this recent one. He 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 put forth his worst total grade, which was below 30 in every category. Uh, where he gave up 65 yards, a touchdown. He just didn't play well, and it's going to happen every now and again at corner. But he's had some really up games, and when he's needed to be up, and they've needed him really badly. Uh, I think we all agree Greg Newsom's going to be a guy. So mm-hmm. Certainly, he's, he's already a guy. He's going to be a dude. Uh, if we're if we're using really slang terms here in terms of where <laughs> they're going to get to in their career, I think Greg's going to be a nice one too with Denzel. But I don't know what they do if they think Greedy can maybe f- transition inside or something. He deserves some credit for how well he's been able to stop and play uh, some positions uh, that, that have been, you know, because we knew that they were going to lose the, the, the injury history of Newsom and, and Denzel. Not great. We knew they were going to have to spot start at corner and having Greedy step in and do that to, to a pretty good level has been wildly helpful to them. I will ask you this trivia question uh, among guys with 200 snaps or more third highest grade for this defense this year. One guess. Who do you think it is? I already have it in front of me. And the irony was I was going to mention him <laughs> uh, because I think he's found a role for himself in this defense. And by the, by the person that we're discussing without outright naming, it's MJ Stewart. It is. It and is. he's made that transition. Now, don't forget, MJ Stewart came into the league as a second round cornerback. Yeah. And he never had that top end speed, but they thought he was going to be able to play heavy at the line of scrimmage jam and use his length. And it just didn't work out with Tampa Bay. 
but he seemingly found a role for himself in Cleveland as a hybrid strong safety slash nickel corner. Oh, by the way, Ronnie Harrison and and uh, Troy Hill are free agents after this year. Yeah. So I, I know Stewart is as well, but if you want to save a little money with a younger guy that's actually stepped up and provided a physical presence, he's not perfect, and he'll mm-hmm. get lost in space at times, and he can be beat by speed. But what they're asking him to do now, he's been a pretty good fit, Jake. He's been a pretty good fit. I think I think Troy Hill's done a great job in the run phase. I've really thought he's popped in that. I think Troy Hill to me is a guy who needs another year in the system, completely different system and has gotten lost in coverage responsibilities a few times, but a good player overall. But I would love to have Troy Hill back and MJ Stewart back because I think they bring great flexibility. MJ's ability to step in that strong safety role when needed to, to bump in and play at that. They go true four, two, five stuff and bring in a big safety. He can slide down a little bit too. It's nice flexibility back there. And and it's probably a little bit more exposed, maybe in a regular year without the COVID threats, you maybe you don't see Grant Delpit miss as much time, or you don't see Ronnie Harrison miss, miss as much time. But uh, even John Johnson's missed COVID time too. Maybe he's not an as vital a player, but it's good flexibility. And if he's, you know, if he's able to be had cheap again, uh, I would be more than interested to bring him back too. Ronnie Harrison, who knows? We all wanted him to play into this role, but he's clearly proven he can only really find comfort near the line of scrimmage. Is that worth the money he might ask for? Yeah. Probably, probably not. I think you can get other players to do that role just as fine. Javante Moffitt can do it just as fine. Um, so a lot of flexibility there, but I did really, really, really want to point out MJ Stewart uh, as a guy who's who's done a nice role, a nice job in that role. I don't know what Mac Wilson's future is. He's been a nice Sam when they've asked him to play Sam. He hasn't had a ton of snaps, really only a rundown base linebacker guy, uh, about 13 snaps a game or so. He's only had a buck 82 for the year, but Mac's had a nice job in that role. I don't know who the future they think of that role is, whether it's Mac or whether it's Taki Taki, but I think they got two good players for that. 15 snaps under front guy who can step up, play close to the, to the line of scrimmage, but be an off ball guy too against 12, 13 packet personnel packages and, and handle that. I like, I, I kind of like both of those guys for that role because it takes away some of the weaknesses of their game, you know? Yeah. I I was thinking as you're going through it because you're right. And neither one of them, you want on the field full time, but they have their strengths. And if you utilize them properly, they can be contributors, which gets me to, where I was curious about on your thoughts is Anthony Walker hasn't been the player they thought he was going to be this season. Now, granted, he's been in and out of the lineup for multiple different reasons. Um, He's only on a one-year deal. Jake, do you think Jacob Phillips is going to be that guy next year alongside JOK? It's a great question. In an ideal world, it would be. I think I think it would be. It comes down to what they think Jacob Phillips can handle and how well. I, I think in coming into the year, there was a real belief that he could, uh, but the indications here early on, you know, week fifteen he didn't play with. The, I think he was on the COVID list week fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only played sixteen snaps last week. It's murky. I don't know. In an ideal world, yes. I don't want them to spend more linebacker capital. I think Jacob Phillips can be fine. You and I have documented when we've gotten together, whether it's on Twitch or some other avenues, that there are some athletic limitations to Jacob Phillips. But he's actually shown me to be a pretty twitchy backer in the NFL level. It's just to me the tackling stuff hasn't been, run defense stuff hasn't been as as good as I loved it. But if he can defend and cover, uh, which, you know, the cover stuff hit or miss has been – 
okay. I thought he was okay when he got opportunities last year, but again, he was so hurt last year. It's a really tough eval in an ideal world. Yes. You'd have a young Jacob Phillips and, and uh, you know, you would have JOK and then you would, you would supplement an older backer. You know, I don't know whether that is Malcolm Smith coming back again as a guy who can rotate uh, or step in and spot duty. And then you play, have those two Sam backers, but um, it depends on what walk wants out of this thing. He, does he want to come back and not be promised a position? I felt like he came to Cleveland because he was promised to be the Mike backer for the most part. You're going to get every chance to win that role with a leg up. We believe in you. I just don't know if he wants that fight for that whole thing. Maybe he thinks he's better than the competition and goes somewhere else. But to me, Phillips, JOK, you have both your other backers back. You have Taki Taki, you have uh, you have Mac Wilson, and then you can kind of piece together some guys behind him, maybe go get a veteran. I just don't know that I'd waste draft capital on a backer again this year. I, I, that's just me, though. I'm interested in your take on the topic, too. I don't know. You can't go wrong with drafting a Georgia linebacker this year. <laughs> well, you really can't, no matter what round you can find him in, that's for sure. Those guys can run and they hit. And that's actually that's the one thing I enjoy about Phillips when he's on the field, and this is similar to – the approach by Wusu Koromoa, when he sees it, he triggers and he gets downhill. Now, yeah. is it con- as consistent? No. Is he on the field as often? Obviously not. But it's there, and he's still very, very young. So that that's why you're, you're kind of caught in this catch-22 because you've invested in the position, but you haven't found the guys necessarily aside from Wusu Koromoa. So – we know they don't value the position as highly as other teams, and but you still need that connective tissue that exists between your dominant front and a talented back end, guys that were, are able to set up the defense, guys that are able to run sideline to sideline, that aren't lost in space. And, you know, uh, there's danger Will Robinson with the type of middle linebackers they've been putting on the field the last couple of years, and I think it's going to be a legitimate issue they may have to address not saying significant free agent capital or even draft capital, but just someone that's can be competent. And to me, that's all they need at that position. Yeah. Walk's been competent too. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's above good grades in almost every category. I don't think you're going to, you're going to put Anthony Walker on the field for athletic endeavors. You're not, you're not going to get that out of him. And sometimes JOK will literally run past him for tackles from the other side of the hash, <laughs> but He's solid and they just need solid. And maybe Jacob Phillips is that solid that they believe in, but you're two years deep in Jacob Phillips with these injuries. And it's like, can you trust that going into a year where you still need backers in the modern NFL? So I I guess right now I would lean if they like the guy, if Walker's the guy that we all heard about from Indy and all indications are that he, that he is that type of dude, they could bring him back. It wouldn't surprise me at all and run it back with that and kind of go invest in other places because we know what they have to reshape. But, um, it could it could be a situation where they go Phillips, they go with a cheap, you know, vet minimum type guy in free agency, and maybe they swing on a seventh round or sixth round backer and go from there. But um, it's an interesting little subplot, not a very big serious plot of the offseason, but a, a little subplot about how they can improve the defense. Before I let you go, I do want to get your opinion on the wide receiver class because it does every indication is Sobo that you're going to get a wide receiver in the first round. I just don't know how you avoid it because I don't know how you go out and sign a guy, a big name guy in this class who really, really wants to come to Cleveland, given what we've seen from the receiver position in this offense and some of the history of star guys. It's just, it's just probably not the best move. I would go first round after somebody, this is in my opinion, the third straight year where what they have needed is a mesh with the guys in the first round that are good. 
and it's a fit. And I'm just kind of curious. It's, it's clear they won't be a top 10 picking team, but they're in the middle tier. They could be picking 15 to 20. Is there a guy there that you prefer above all else? Yes. Tyler Linderbaum. Oh wait, no, that, that's not a wide receiver. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you and tell him? I know you love Iowa. Iowa and I was going to say <laughs> Iowa lineman. You can't get away from them. That dates all the way back to Steinbach and Robert Gallery for those who've been on the OBR for a long time. Uh, No, the guy's special. That's why I I truly am a perfect system fit, but that's neither here nor there. If I'm looking at this wide receiver class, again, it's deep, it's talented, and as Jake stated, it's a perfect fit when it comes to need, right? So one thing I talk about all the time in the draft is, People talk about value in the draft as if it's some nebulous thing that can't be defined. But the reality is need or value is when your ratings match your need whenever you're drafting right now, Mm -hmm. to be fair, we don't know all the team boards or anything along those lines, but when those two, two issues intersect, that's when you truly find value in the NFL. And so I'm looking at it, and I know we. I think we have a discrepancy here, Jake, because our number one wide receiver with a bullet, and the only one we grade as elite, as in the top tier of this class, isn't either of the Ohio State guys, isn't Jamison Williams from Alabama, despite all the speed and how well he played this year as a Blitnikoff Award winner. It's USC's Drake London. I like him a and, lot. Yeah, and Drake is an interesting. For multiple reasons. And I know, and we were joking about this a little bit on Twitter earlier today. It's not just because he's six foot five and 210 pounds and he played on the USC basketball teams. It's more than that. Despite his size, he is a more nuanced, nuanced runner, route runner than you typically see from those type of receivers. So, for example, he's further along right now at 20 years old, might I add, which will be at the draft, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. At, yeah. He doesn't turn 21 until July of next year. So Goodness. first of all, check Mark, Andrew Barry, huge. He, he is further along right now in his development than Mike Evans was at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And what I love about him, and this is one of the little things when you start to break down the top guys and you're, you're nitpicking. What I love about Drake London that you don't see, but from a lot of young receivers, especially his age, is he's always working his way back to the ball and catching and, re- and you know extending for the catch with his hands, right? Mm-hmm. Those are things that don't come naturally to all wide receivers. They think they can just run the route, the quarterback's going to put on them, and they can keep running. No, this is a guy that can run route, routes well for his size, that he can create separation for a guy his size, and he's going to be a very good target for quarterbacks because he does the little things necessary to get himself open and make the plays. And so th- I think that's what really separates him. Again, he fits the, the profile that Andrew Barry prefers, age, pipeline program. Now, granted, this would be the first time that he hasn't selected a premium position, but depending on who you talk to in the NFL, some consider wide receiver a premium yeah. position nowadays. Yeah. So take that for whatever way you want. To me, he's that guy. And from that point, there's other guys that fit, but it depends on what style of fit you like, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I think Chris Olave would be a great fit because he is the smoothest route runner in the class. He's the most reliable guy. That's something in the precision timing offense that Kevin Stefanski wants to run where he can slot in from day one and be different than everyone else if you draft him. Or you look at Traylon Burks, and this and this may be an odd comparison for some, and it's one I brought up with my editor when we've been going through uh, our draft analysis. Traylon Burks reminds me a lot of Jarvis Landry, albeit a bigger, more physical Jarvis Landry at six foot three, two twenty five. He's built like a running back essentially, but they manufacture touches for him. He creates after the catch. You know, he's doing all the little things necessary that you want from the position that Jarvis currently does. And the third one, obviously, is Jamison Williams because of that speed. Again, he's a younger target, much like Drake London, comes from the pipeline program, so he fits the profile as well. Notice I didn't mention somebody, Jake, and I think that'll rally you up a little bit. <laughs> I, I Listen, I like I like Garrett because of a lot of different reasons, but this is a pick-your-flavor thing, man. Like, it is. You know, Drake London's 6'5 and change, but here's what you ask. Can the guy separate? That's the first thing I'm looking for. Can you create genuine college separation? Because that translates very often. Yes. Can you run a diverse route tree? He can. Can you sink the hips and get out of breaks at that size? Yes, he can. I really, really wish he can pluck it too. Then you start adding the other things. Can you go up and get it right? Can you catch the ball consistently? Can you, can you make those jump ball plays? Like, yeah, he can do those things, but your primary thing has to be can you get open and he can get open and he can do a bunch of things at that size. So I am in line with him being the best wide receiver in the class. Have no issue with it. Think people are going to be enamored. The thing I will ask you and I look at, and back to Garrett, I think Garrett is, he's going to blow the testing away. And we know what, what Andrew Barry likes is a, a mixture of age and elite athleticism. So my question about Drake London is, do you think with the if the injury he suffered, he's going to get to testing? Because that's going to be interesting. It is. And it's a question we've asked ourselves uh, behind the scenes when we've done our evaluations. Now, we have to you have to understand what happened with his injuries. It's a fractured ankle mm-hmm. and there has been no ligament damage. So considering when he hurt it, I believe it was what, late October. So. He should be relatively healthy at some point prior to the draft, which would mean he would be not maybe not test, but at least go through a pre-draft workout for teams, you know, as as a pro day, something along those lines. And I think that would help him as long as he's cleared medically, because we know he's an athlete. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as I stated earlier, he played at a Division One program in the Pac-12 on the basketball team. So we know he can he can move. Um, is he going to blow the process away like a Garrett Wilson or a Jamison Williams? No, because he's not built that way. Right? Like if you expect him to come out and run four, three, low four, four, you're, you're just, <laughs> you're blowing sun, sunshine up someone's, you know what, because, you know, I use Mike Evans as an example earlier. Mike Evans is a future hall of famer. He ran a mid four, five, right? Yeah. It's a different type of body. It's a different type of skill set. Um, so To your point overall, I think the best way to look at it is this. And this is the same thing that applied not this year, but last year with the offensive tackles. You can't necessarily go wrong with any of these guys, and they all have the potential to be very good, placed in the right situation, and used correctly. And it's, we mentioned London, I mentioned Alave, you said Wilson, I said Burks and Justin Williams. 
I didn't even bring up Penn State's Jahan Dotson, who He's is an electric player. playmaker as well. Yeah, Another Bell. guy we have ranked highly. Again, if he clears medically, is Justin Ross. I know yeah. he hasn't put up the numbers this year, but that's because the Clemson quarterback situation was just a disaster. <laughs> I mean, there's other guys. If you just start going down the list that just put up huge numbers, David Bell for Purdue, right? Javon Hiley from Coastal Carolina will leave that program as his all-time leading receiver. Boise State's Khalil Shakur, or Shakir, excuse me, has some of the strongest hands I've ever seen, or at least in this class, and he's only six foot 190. He'll go up and get it. Cincinnati has another outstanding athlete, and Alec Pierce, you can see Mm -hmm. against Alabama, 6'3", 215-ish. So, I mean – Yes, the first round's the most likely destination, but maybe you look for two, not just one in this I'm, year's class. I'm telling you, we did a draft a month ago and Steve, myself, and Corey Kennan took two. We took we took I think we took Garrett Wilson, then we took David Bell. Like I'm like, if th- this is something you gotta solve. You gotta solve it. And if there's not an edge you love at those spots, then yeah, I'm or a D tackle either. I'm I'm not against drafting two of these guys because they got to fix it. It's embarrassing where they're at. It's really embarrassing it where they're at. So it really is. And it, I like Donovan Peoples Jones. I think he I has the too. potential he's, he's to a, be a starting X in the NFL. But he's just not line. there yet, right? Yeah. He's just yeah. he's not there, and that's okay because he came in the league at 21 years old. He was highly developmental, a six round pick. He wasn't utilized properly in Michigan. It's going to take time, and but I think the beneficiary that to that potentiality of two wide receivers in this year's class would be Baker Mayfield, because the difference is this as talented as Odell Beckham jr. And Jarvis Landry are, they are, they were established veteran superstars before that quarterback ever entered this league. Oh yeah. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but we can state for a fact that sometimes they route, run their routes a little differently or they see things a little differently and they break it off sooner or later than they're supposed to because they think they can get away with it. If you bring in young rookies that are going to work with your quarterback day in, day out to be on the same page, to me that is far more important than name value and recognition from a national perspective. Could not agree more. I think some of that stuff has played into it where, you know, who's listening to who? Right. That question pops up because, you know, a lot of these guys and talked about it when Odell left, those guys had Odell posters on their wall. They, there are not many guys on this team who were not watching him in 14, 15, 16 as youngsters, college guys or even high school guys, believe it or not, who didn't, you know, look up to that dude in, in an insane way. So, yeah, this is great. We hit on everything. We hit on a bunch of names I don't think have been talked about enough on both sides. I had a blast here. So, but good college names talked about, too. We'll do this again January, I'm sure when you get some more guys under your belt with scouting and we can talk about how the whole year went collectively. And it's always a good time to get together. My friend can never watch enough tape when it comes to these guys. Like I don't get to pour over the Browns as much as I used to. And I, but I'm watching FCS games and I'm watching bowl games that don't even have players that are supposed to be in the draft at this point. <laughs> but that's the priority now. And I will be in the shrine bowl in Las Vegas this year. That'll be a first time for me after being in senior bowl multiple years in the past. So it's all exciting, man. It's all new. I just love the process. And you know I'm going to be around anytime you need me to talk a little draft and talk a little football. So I appreciate it. Anyone that's listening that's made it this far with us, if we there haven't been too bored along the way, happy holidays. I hope your Christmas or Hanukkah went well. And 
look, two weeks left, and we'll see what happens. And it's going to determine a lot in the way the Browns approach their offseason. Absolutely. Good stuff, Sobo. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Thanks again, guys, for joining us for today's episode. And a huge shout-out to Sobo for giving almost an hour of his time to cover all different angles of the Cleveland Browns. And again, I just we've talked about Mayfield a lot. Tomorrow's guest, we're going to have Robert Mays on from The Athletic. We're going to talk more about Mayfield Stefanski and where the future of this thing is going. Thought it would be refreshing to take a break and talk about guys who I don't think are being talked about enough. So hopefully you did enjoy it. Reminder, we did the Chalk Talk on Twitch. That is up on my Twitter feed and Twitch for a replay if you go to the OBR Twitch. Check that out. Tomorrow we will have the OBR's uh, weekly show, which will be Barry McBride, Fred, uh, Fred Greetham as well. So check that out if you can. Otherwise, everybody have a fantastic Wednesday. Check back in with us throughout the week. We'll have some great guests. Like I said, we'll have on um, Mays for tomorrow. Then we'll have our John Colosimo Friday. We'll get a Pittsburgh preview over the weekend and a couple other things leading up to Monday Night Football because there's a lot of huge things that have to shake out Sunday to get to Monday and should be interesting. Otherwise, guys, thanks for joining today's show. Appreciate you very much for your support through this pod, the website, or the Twitch channel. Thank you guys again. Have a great Wednesday. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.